know, I, I really feel like I'm going to share my story tonight, but I feel like God's going to do miracles in this place tonight. I feel like that there's people, and you might have walked in struggling with depression, but you're going to walk out without depression tonight. I, I feel like there's people that anxiety is a, you know, a regular thing in your life, but you're going to walk out with the peace of God in this place tonight. I feel like there's people that maybe are struggling with an addiction, but you're going to walk out free in the name of Jesus in this place tonight. I, I really feel that that's going to happen. God's going to lift burdens off people. And uh, I just want to share my story and uh, I know there'll be a whole heap of new people that maybe you're invited along tonight. And uh, I've got to, can I just turn the fold back down just a touch? Uh, I've got to uh, warn you when I sh before I share my story, it's a freaky story. Okay, it's sort of out there messed up freaky. Like it's my story and it still freaks me out. Okay, so it's sort of like freaky out there sort of. And, and you know, when you tell your story... It's hard to know when the guy's going to finish because, you know, you can't have point one, point two, point three of your story. Uh, so what I've done is I've come up with four movies that represent my story so you'll know where we're going and when we're getting to the end. Uh, the first part of my story is a show uh, called Weeds. Anybody ever seen Weeds? Yeah, you should not be watching that show. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I set you up. I only know because someone else told me about the Anyway, uh, but for everyone else that's a bit more holy... If you don't know what weeds is, just imagine Home and Away. You know Home and Away in New Zealand? Home and Away, but everybody's on drugs, okay? Uh, Alf Stewart, he would be the local dealer in weeds, okay? Just so you know what weeds is. Then the next part of my story, we're going to call paranormal activity. That's when it's going to get freaky and messed up, okay? That's where it's out there. And then we're going to throw in just a little bit of Oprah Winfrey, okay? I told you it was messed up. Even Oprah's in my story. And then the last part, we're going to go a bit old school, uh, and this is more for the girls, okay? The last part is freaky if you're new to church, but there is a love story. So we're going to call that Twilight, okay? Can we do that? It's for the girls. And, and all right, cool, let's do weeds. No, not let's do, anyways, <laughs> sorry, we're, we're in church. Uh, weeds is really my upbringing. It was what my family life looked like. Uh, when I was five or six, my parents divorced. Uh, we would stay with my dad every Friday night. My dad did drugs. Uh, there would normally be 20 of his mates over on a Friday night partying, drinking, doing drugs. Uh, we lived with my mum six nights a week. She also did drugs and drank quite a bit of alcohol. Uh, most of my aunties and uncles did drugs. Even some of my grandparents did drugs. You know you're in trouble when pop smokes bongs, okay? That's a, that's a bad start to life. I do that joke to see how naughty the crowd is, and you guys are way up there, hey? I had a feeling Auckland might sort of like, anyway, wait till I tell him in Manukau. Anyway, don't tell them I said that. I'm going to go there and say the same thing about you. Anyway, but uh, I uh, followed in my dad's footsteps and at about 13, I started to smoke cigarettes, uh, binge drinking, uh, marijuana about 13. At 15, I started to inject speed. Uh, started taking ecstasy, acid, uh, really whatever I could get my hands on. Uh, long story short, from 13 to 23, I used drugs almost every single day of my life for about 10 years and uh, was pretty messed up. And uh, I've got a photo of what I look like. Who wants to see, see that? Come on, let's put that up. There I am, making a cake. Uh, I can't tell you what's in the cake. Again, it's just for the naughty people. You know, I actually remember that moment. I really do. I was about 19, and I never made the cake. Because you know when you start eating the mix? And I didn't stop. I just ate the... Anyway. 
And, and so there I was, 63 kilos. I know I've put on a lot of weight. Anyway, uh, 63 kilos, I was pretty messed up. Uh, but uh, the, the next part of my story really is paranormal activity. And like I said, I've got to tell you, it is a freaky story, but there's no other way I can tell it. It's the way I perceived it to all happen. Uh, when I was 16, I uh, was with this girl and we were about to take a drug called acid. And if you don't know, acid is a hallucinogenic, it's a mind-altering drug, causes you to see things that aren't really there. And we went to this house to get this drug and the guys that were selling us the drug were older than us and uh, they were really involved in sort of satanic worship. There was posters of demons in the bedroom, uh, you know, satanic symbols, satanic uh, death metal bands with demons and all, a very dark environment. We bought this acid trip and the guys said to us, hey, well, why don't you just stay here the night and take the trip with us? I was just 16, myself and this girl, and we sort of agreed and said, okay, and I took this acid trip, the whole thing, and after about half an hour, I ended up completely unconscious. I don't remember the, next of the rest of the night in a physical sense of what happened. And all of a sudden, as I was fully unconscious, but in my mind's eye, I was very awake, very alert. And this darkness came over my entire being, a darkness that I could never have imagined actually existed. And in this state of darkness, this being stood before me so clear in my mind's eye. I wasn't religious. I didn't really believe in a God or a devil. I sort of thought maybe someone created the world. But this being stood before me and he literally dripped with evil. And he spoke to me so clearly in my mind's eye. He said, Lucas, you're dead. No one likes you. No one loves you. No one wants your soul. And he said, who do you want to give your soul to? And then like a lawyer, he painted this picture of every wrong thing that I'd ever done in my whole life. Every selfish thought, every lustful thought, every greedy thought. And he painted a picture of all the people that I said that I loved, but how I'd done wrong by each one of them. And like a lawyer, he was putting a case together that, that showed that no one would want my dirty soul, but he was the only one that would take it. And it kept coming back to this picture where he would say, who do you want to give your soul to? And I sort of knew I was painted into a corner where there was no other option except him. But something on the inside just knew not to let go. I didn't know what to do, but I continued to fight. Eventually, I went to this place of total darkness where I was tormented in my mind like I can't even articulate. Ridiculed, mocked, teased, laughed at. Like I was the butt of every single joke where every single person was ridiculing and laughing and mocking and teasing. Such a horrible experience. Eventually, at the end of this sort of trip, I went to this third stage where I saw myself, I saw my body thrown into this disgusting pit. It was like this evil had had enough. And I was discarded like a piece of meat that no one wanted. I was thrown into this disgusting pit and I watched demon creatures, foul and disgusting, coming down into this pit and they were ripping my flesh apart. I remember being that 16-year-old boy. I remember screaming with all my heart. I remember thinking, this can't be the end of my life. This can't be where I stay forever. I'm just 16. And as these beings came, I was just about no more. And all of a sudden, I woke up on that bedroom floor. It was about one o'clock in the morning. I remember I got out of that house as quick as you could imagine. And I remember this so clearly, I don't know why I remember this part, but I remember getting home at one o'clock in the morning to where my mum lived and where I lived. And I remember walking into my bedroom and standing at the archway of my, my door, my bunk beds were right there. I leant on my bunk bed thinking about what just had happened. 
And I thought to myself, that felt like the realest thing that I've ever encountered in my whole life. But then I thought, it couldn't be real. It's just what they call a bad trip. It was about two weeks later and I was out with some friends. We were in Melbourne going to this bar. It was called the Cantina Bar. We were meeting some friends there. I was sitting in the back seat on the passenger side. A friend of mine was in the middle back seat. I'm just sitting there minding my own business two weeks later. And completely randomly out of the blue, my friend turns to me and he says, hey, I heard you met the devil the other week. As soon as he said those words, it was like I felt that same manifestation physically of evil come over my entire being. It was so full of hatred and evil and so tangible that as he asked that question about the devil and I felt that, that experience, I was literally paralyzed, frozen in fear. I couldn't talk, I couldn't move, I was literally paralyzed for a moment. As I'm there paralyzed because he's asked about the devil, it was like he looked at me after he'd asked about the devil and it was like he looked into me and he said, guess who's gonna be at the cantina bar tonight? And it was literally like the devil spoke through him straight to me saying, I'm still here. For the next probably three or four years of my life, I had what psychologists would have diagnosed as drug-induced psychosis where I would think things and the television would answer my thoughts, the radio would answer my thoughts. I would have conversations in my head with this evil voice. Every day this voice would tell me, no one likes you, no one loves you, you should kill yourself. The thing that makes it even more horrific is this voice convinced me that who I'd met that night was not actually the devil, but the God of the entire universe. And as crazy as it sounds, I believe from 16 to 19 that I'd met God, but he was evil and he took pleasure in my torment. And every day he'd say, no one likes you, no one loves you, you should kill yourself. And every now and again, I'd ask this question in my mind, I'd say, well, hang on a minute. If you're God and you created everything and you want me to kill myself, then why didn't I just die that night when I was 16? Why didn't I stay in that place forever? And as sharp as anything, that voice would say, because I hate you so much, I'm gonna torment you here on earth and then I'm gonna take you and torment you for all of an eternity. From a 16 and 19 year old boy, there were so many nights that I cried myself to sleep in absolute hopelessness because I believed I met God, but he hated me and took pleasure in my torment. Eventually I got to about 19 years old and it just got a little bit too much and I made a decision to end my life. I'd worked out how I was gonna do it. I worked out when I was gonna do it. I was about a week or two away from ending my life and I'm sitting at home and on daytime television, of all shows I'm watching, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah saved my life. It wasn't Dr. Phil. Anyway, and I'm sitting there watching Oprah, a week or two away from ending my life, and the guests on her show were people that had died for like one minute, two minutes, three minutes. You know, they'd flatline. And they were there to talk about what they saw in those few moments of death. And everybody on her show said the same thing. They talked about a beautiful white light that was full of peace, they sort of went in and then they came out. And I was actually getting annoyed by the show because I'm thinking, well, I didn't see no white light. I didn't feel no peace. I was only half watching the show and at the end of the show, a professor in the crowd, a, a university professor, he puts up his hand, he says, Oprah, can I share my story? It's very different. She says, you got two minutes. He says he was an atheist professor, a staunch atheist. That means he believed 100% there was no God. He was traveling through Europe 
and he had a perforation in his intestines. They exploded. He was rushed to a hospital and on the operating table, he died for about three minutes. He said to his shock because he was such a staunch atheist and believed in no afterlife. He couldn't believe it, but his spirit and soul left his body. And here he was in the operating table as well, trying to bring him back. And he was hovering above the ceiling, watching the doctors with his open stomach. He then said these beings came to meet him. And they started to take him away from where his body was. And he said, I started to realize that these beings weren't nice. They began to tease me. They began to laugh at me. They began to mock me. He said on Oprah Winfrey, they began to beat me. And then he said something that I'd felt so alone for so long and never heard anyone say anything like this, but I could relate to it. He said all of a sudden on daytime television, he said they turn into these demon creatures and they literally began to rip his soul apart. And as they were ripping his soul apart, a little voice on the inside said, ask God for help. And an atheist professor, as demons were ripping his soul about, he is physically dead at this moment. He prayed a prayer and he said, God, if you're real, can you help me out of this situation? And he woke up on that operating table and on Oprah Winfrey, he gave glory to Jesus Christ because he had rescued him. It was at that moment that I realized that I'd asked this question, why I didn't die that night. And I received such a demonic, hopeless answer. But it was at that moment I realized the reason I didn't die that night when I was 16 is because there was a God in heaven. His name was Jesus. He had a plan and a purpose for my life. He had died on a cross. I wish I could say from that moment I served God, but I sort of had a bit of an encounter. My mental illness stopped, even though I didn't fully become a Christian. See, because truth will set you free. It's an eternal principle. And it was a few years later that I moved to the Gold Coast. I was 23 years old. I actually moved to Surface Paradise, the GC, actually to get off drugs. Wasn't the smartest young guy. <laughs> but I moved to Surface Paradise, and this last part is twilight, if you didn't work out. It's a bit freaky if you're new to church, but there is a love story. I, I, I had this auntie that actually had been praying for me for 17 years that I would one day encounter the love of God. That's a different sermon, but that's the real reason why I didn't die that night when I was 16, because someone was standing in the gap. And, and so she prayed for 17 years. She prayed that I'd one day become a giant killer and do incredible things for Jesus Christ. I was, every year she'd send me a birthday card. I was 23, just turned 23, living on the Gold Coast, partying, into drugs and the car would always say the same thing and have a Bible verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord God Almighty, plans not to harm you, but to prosper you. And, and, and I would read this card, if I'd be honest with you, I'd think, yep, she's a Christian crackpot, and, and sort of just throw the card away. It was about two weeks later, my mum rings me from Melbourne. She says, you never even rang your auntie to say thank you for the card. I was dressed in nightclub clothes, I'd organized to score ecstasy at a nightclub in Surface Paradise. I was dressed, ready to go out the door. I think just to get my mum off my back, I'll quickly ring my auntie. It'll just take a moment. And I pick up the phone to this lady that's been praying for 17 years. And as I hear her voice, she says, hello, hello. And as I hear her voice, it was so filled with pure, unconditional love that even as I heard her voice, it was like heaven opened up and the love of the Father came from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I was so overwhelmed by this love. 
Here I was in my nightclub clothes, ready to go out the door. That I, I was faced with a dilemma because I was so overwhelmed. My first dilemma was I knew that, that, that if I even said hello back to her, I was going to break down and cry like a baby. And who knows that for a 23-year-old male, that is a dilemma. Or two, if I didn't cry like a baby, I was going to have to prank call my Christian Baptist auntie. The only thing I could do is I grabbed the phone, I started going, and no, I didn't really, it's okay. I'm not a freak, I promise. I cried like a baby and in that moment for the very first time that auntie helped me to pray a prayer where I invited Jesus Christ to come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. I went to church the next day and I publicly made a decision for Jesus Christ. I, I uh, you know, I was still struggling though with cigarettes and marijuana, even though I was fully born again, because who knows that you can love God, be fully born again, but still have stuff going on in your life. It's called being a human being. It's why we need a savior. His name is Jesus. And, and I was a couple weeks into my salvation and still just kept going back to drugs, even though I was so in love with God. And I remember hearing the pastor say there was nothing that God couldn't do. And I remember I went into my little unit in Surface Paradise and I got on my hands and knees and I said, God, the pastor said there's nothing that you can't do. God, I've been a drug addict my whole life. God, I want you to take this addiction away from me. And all of a sudden I got on my hands and knees and faith began to rise because a lady had been praying for 17 years. And as faith began to rise, I began to hit the ground. As a two-week-old Christian, I said, God, when will you do it? When will you take it away? And as clear as anything, I hear his voice in my heart that said 726. I sort of stood up a little bit freaked out thinking, what does that even mean? And as I was thinking, what does it mean? I hadn't looked at my clock for a couple hours and I turned to see my clock and it was exactly 726. And it was at that moment that I knew, that I knew, that I knew that I would never need cigarettes again. I would never need drugs again. Being completely set free, completely healed. In that moment, God spoke to me about five other things that were all going to happen in my life, just as I lay on the floor as a brand new Christian. The first thing he said to me, I was living with this guy who was sort of a backslid, you know, had been away from God, had once been a Christian, but was away from God. And he, he was sort of like a good guy, but he's a real angry sort of guy. He was sort of stocky and had this little round head, and, and he'd sort of just be angry all the time. And, you know, I'd live with him, but you'd be petrified to turn the channel on the TV. He might kill you. And, and and as I'm laying on the floor, I felt the Holy Spirit say, tomorrow, your friend is coming to church with you. I'm like, God, you might be God, but right now he's at a nightclub. He ain't getting home till five in the morning. He's not coming to church at nine. But I said, okay, you're God. And next thing God says as I lay there, he said, tomorrow, you're going to stand up in front of 300 people and tell them what I did for you. I'd only been a Christian two weeks, so I said, well, God, okay, if that's the case, I haven't had a haircut in a long time. Could I get a haircut? A little bit vain. He said, you'd get a haircut, not before morning church, but before night church. I said, okay, I can deal with that. The next thing he said, he says, you're going to go back to Melbourne. You're going to tell your sister that you love her and so do I. And you're going to see your whole family come to know me. There's one more thing, but I'm going to save that to the, to the very end that he said. I wake up the next morning after this crazy God encounter. I'm set free. I'm healed. I'm whole. I believe that's going to happen for some people in this place tonight. And, 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 and the first, my, my first thought, thought is, oh no, the angry guy. Like he's gonna kill me. Like if I wake him up, if I walk in that bedroom, he'd only gotten home at like 5.30 in the morning. I walk into his room, I nearly get knocked out just from the smell of alcohol and you know, just 
partying and, and I walk over, and this is no exaggeration, I walk over and I say, hey, hey, hey buddy, you should come to church this morning. He literally jumps out of bed and starts going, come on, I reckon I should come to church this morning. I don't know if it was the drugs still kicking in, but he came to church. We walked across the road, we lived across the road from the church that I got born again in. And I'm sitting in the crowd, I'm sitting there with the angry guy just freaking out, 726, I'm now free. Halfway through the pastor's sermon, he stops his message and he says, you, and points at me. He says, come up here on this stage and tell everybody what God's done in your life. And I stood in front of 300 people and I told them I'd been a drug addict my whole life, but last night Jesus set me free and the church went crazy. And After that, I went out with some Christians to do fellowship. I mean, what the hell is fellowship? Anyway, <laughs> I'm used to partying with people on drugs and strippers and, you know, like all, and now I'm doing fellowship with Christians. And, and to be honest, I'm sitting there at lunch freaking out a little bit and, this guy's about six foot four, tattoos all over him. He's a black belt in jujitsu. He used to be a, a, a debt collector for people that owed drug dealers money. He's massively on drugs, rough dude. And he walks up to me and, and he goes, oh, what are you doing today for the rest of the day? And I said, look, to be honest, man, I'm, I'm just going to go home and chill because I was freaking out a bit of all this stuff that's happening. And he says, oh, man, I, I was going to go get a haircut. Just wanted to see if you wanted to come. I'm like, what the, f you, I, Flip was coming, just so you know, okay? I stopped Flip, just, I want that on the record. Anyway, you might not think that's a big miracle, but guys don't go to guys, do you want to go get a haircut? Do you know what I mean? Like, a girl says to a girl, do you want to go get a haircut? That's normal. If, normally, if a guy says, do you want to go get a haircut, you'd punch him. But he was six foot four and he had tattoos, so I said, okay, let's go. <coughs> we went and got a haircut. It was about three months later, I just kept following Jesus and falling in love with him. And I was working for this, this guy, who was meant to pay me $100 for a day's work. He was a, a Christian. And as we finished the day, he was sitting in his car, he's about to write me a check. And he says to me, he says, Lucas, I feel like God wants me to give you more than we had agreed on. I'm just like, man, just do whatever God says, follow your heart. <laughs> I said, hang on, I'm getting a figure. I'm getting a figure right now. <laughs> I didn't really say that. But he's writing the check and I'm watching him write out the check. And I see that he's writing $400. And I'm sitting there and in my mind, I'm spending the money. I'm like, man, I'm going for all you can eat tonight. I'm going to gold class cinemas. I'm going to buy some jeans. I, I, like, I've spent the 400. As soon as that check touches my hands, the Holy Spirit said, this is for you to go to Melbourne for six weeks and tell your sister you love her. I went straight from that moment to the travel agent back in the day when we used travel agents. And I walked in and I said, I want to go to Melbourne for six weeks on these dates. And she said, oh, that'll be $399. I went and bought a can of Coke back in the days when Cokes were a dollar. Anyway, <laughs> I went to Melbourne and I turn up, you gotta understand my family only knew me as a junkie. And I turn up, my sister answers the door. I had a Jesus t-shirt on, I regret that a little. Anyway, <laughs> one life, one love. Anyway, <laughs> I hope I didn't offend anyone. But I turn up and she answers the door and I said, I've come here because God loves you and so do I. She just, she's like, mom, Lucas lost the plot again. <laughs> I was about two weeks into my trip to Melbourne, it was about midnight. I was sitting in my, in my room reading my Bible. My sister comes into my bedroom. I knew she was on drugs. I got her on drugs. But I didn't know the extent of how bad it had got her. No one did. And she comes into my bedroom at midnight and she says, Lucas, she starts to cry. She says, I know why God told you to come. She said, no one knows, but I've actually been on heroin injecting every day for the past year. She starts to weep. 
in a real bad way and she starts to say, you know, I've done so many things that I'm so ashamed of, so embarrassed by to get drugs. She says, but every single night that I've been addicted, I've prayed and I've said, God, if you're real, can you help me out of this situation? And then you turn up telling me that you came just for me because God loved me and so do you. In that moment, my sister got born again and gave her life to Jesus. Then I saw my mum, my dad, aunties, uncles, grandparents all give their lives to Jesus Christ. Come on, let's give him praise. The last part of the story, if I can rewind back to that night. That night when I was having that crazy encounter, it was a Saturday night. The night before was a Friday night. That's deep, isn't it? Anyway, uh, it was a Friday night. I was in a new Christians class. And there's just six of us. And as we're in this class, all these young adults start turning up to the church in fancy dress. I said, what's going on? And I'm brand new. And, and I said, it's one of the girls. She's having a party. And uh, it's fancy dress. And as he's telling me, the girl having the party walks into the room that we're in to get something out of a cupboard. She's dressed as Barbie, you know, Barbie doll. She's got like the Barbie skirt, Barbie shoes, Barbie bag, the whole Barbie thing going on. She walks in. I start drooling a little bit. My eyes were popping out. I said, how you doing? She ignored me because I look like the cake guy. <laughs> I've been in counseling ever since. No, not really. But she went off and had a party and I finished my Bible study. The next night, I have this 726 moment. God tells me all these things. Tells me about my whole family. But then the last thing is I lay on the floor. He says, Lucas, the girl you saw last night, she's the girl you're going to marry. I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. <laughs> God, send me. I will go. So the next day I got up and I changed my name to Ken. And no, I didn't really. It took her a year and a half to come to her senses and see what she was missing out on. No, no, no. no it took me a year and a half to be even close to being ready for a godly functional relationship. But we've been now married 15 years. And I've got a photo of Barbie. Who wants to see that? What she looked like that night? Come on, this was her on her 23rd birthday, the day she snobbed me. Anyway, and then let me quickly show you what happens when you marry Barbie. Next slide. There we go, Josiah and Caleb. If I could get the keyboarder to come, that would be really cool. But, uh, you know, God's just been so good to me. And, and maybe you're here today. Maybe you've got a story like mine. Maybe this is your moment. Maybe you've lived the same journey as I. It was one decision that changed everything for me. See, and you might say, well, how could have you been so bad, but then God just forgave you of all that stuff? Well, it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. You know, the Bible says that he was brutally beaten. Beaten beyond recognition, the Bible says. He was hung over a wooden stock and had, had uh, 39 lashes on his back, ripped his back apart. They beat him, they pulled out his beard, they made him carry his own cross. Physically, I don't know how he did what he did. But not just physically, have you ever thought about emotionally what he did? He had 12 so-called best friends. And when he needed his friends the most, they all deserted him. One of them sort of had the guts to hang at a distance, Peter. But when he was questioned and said, you know him, don't you? He swears and says, I've never met the guy before. Emotionally, I don't know how he did what he's doing. Where the very people that he was dying for were spitting on him, were hurling insults at him. Emotionally, he had to watch his own mum, Mary, who brought him into the earth watching him be crucified. I don't know how he did what he did physically. I don't know how he did what he did emotionally. But I'll close with this. What Jesus did for us spiritually 
makes the physical and the emotional look like a walk in the park. See, there's this moment in the Bible that seems to contradict everything else. Jesus is on the cross. The Bible says darkness covered the earth. At 12 o'clock in the day, when it should have been light, it went dark for three hours. And as that darkness came, Jesus says something that just doesn't seem to fit. He cries out to God the Father. He says, Father, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? And it doesn't make sense. Because on the same cross, with the same emotional and physical pain, Jesus talks to God. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But now something's changed that causes Jesus to cry, why would you desert me? In my moment of need. See, but it was because what He came to really do spiritually. It was the same thing that caused the earth to turn dark when it should have been light. In that moment, the sin of the world was put on the sinless Son of God. Have you ever thought about that? Every sin that has ever been, every sin that I've ever committed, every rape, every gang rape, every act of child molestation, every time someone's looked at pornography, every act of drunkenness, every swear word, every act of drug taking, every uh, genocide, every murder, all at once was put on the one that had never known sin. In that moment, he became ugly. He became an abomination. And the penalty for that sin, for our sin, for my sin, is separation from God the Father. And when that sin was put on him, God the Father had to do the hardest thing that he's ever done. When his boy needed him the most, God the Father had to turn his back. And for the first time ever, Jesus felt separation from God the Father. And it caused him to reveal a bit of his humanity where he couldn't hold it back. He says, why would you forsake me? But see, the reason why God the Father turned his back on Jesus is so that I could stand on this platform tonight and say to you, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think it is, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, you will never, ever, ever see the back of God the Father. Because Jesus saw the back of God the Father so that you would only ever see the open arms of a loving dad. It says, I'll never reject you, I'll never leave you. <coughs> I want to pray for people in a moment. Before I do that, if you're in this place tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you have, but for whatever reason, you found yourself right away from God. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And if you're either giving your life back to God, you're drawing a line in the sand. You're saying in 2007, I'm going to give my life back and start to live for God. Or maybe you're like me 15 years ago, or maybe it was 16 and a half, 17 years. And you're for the very first time saying, you know what? Something in here says this is right. Tonight's the night that I give my life to Jesus. If you're either of those two groups, doing this for the first time, recommitting your life. When I get to three, I'm gonna ask everyone right now to close their eyes, bow their heads. When I get to three, I want you to lift your hand. I'll see it, you put it back down. Every eye closed, every head bowed, one. Friend, I tell you, He loves you more than you've ever dreamed or imagined. Two, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, or who you are. You're God's precious son or precious daughter. 
three all over this place right now. Quick lift you. Yeah, I'd love to pray for you tonight. I'd love to pray for you there as well, mate. Come on, someone else just saying yes. Yeah, I'd love to pray for you there too. So good. Come on, people just getting right with God. I feel this so strong. Come on. I know there's more. Come on, your heart's beating so fast. It's cause, yeah, uh, it's because Dad loves you so much. Come on, don't go home the same way that you came in. Come on, I'm going to ask. I know there's a few people already. Is there someone else? Is there someone else just saying yes, yes, yes? i got one over here. I've got one here. Who was that other person? Every eye closed. Just give me a big wave if I haven't seen you. I've seen the girl here. I've seen the young man. Yeah, got you there. Come on, was there someone else as well tonight? Was there someone else? Awesome for those three people. We're going to open the altar in just a moment. I've only got three minutes left, but Esther's going to carry on with what I start. But just for the young man that put his hand up back in this row here, when I do this next altar call, just young man, I want you to come as well, okay, because I want to pray for you. I believe God's going to do something in your life. I'm going to get Esther also to pray the prayer with the three people. Can everyone else stand at your feet? In about five or ten minutes, Esther's going to lead everyone through a prayer. And for those three people, you're going to just give your life to Jesus. But I want to just, I've got about three minutes. The thing I felt God say He was going to do, that there's an anointing right now at this place. He showed me this picture of, it's like you're carrying a burden. And it was like a big boulder on your back. You're carrying this burden. I feel like tonight, God's going to lift burdens off people's lives. Now for you, it was a burden that's really stopping you from being able to, because who knows if you've got a big boulder on your back, it's hard to really flourish and do life. I don't need to know what the boulder is for you. Maybe it is depression. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe you were sexually abused and you just feel so hurt. Maybe it's a physical condition. Maybe it's an addiction that no one else knows about. I don't need to know. God knows. But what I want to do, because I believe there's breakthrough, and I saw it in my spirit, that God's going to lift whatever it is, because He's more powerful than depression. He's more powerful than anxiety. He's more powerful than physical sickness. So right now, if you feel in your life, you know what, there's just something. It might have just been your, the way that you were brought up, your parents divorced, whatever it is, but you know there's something that just stops you from running the way you're meant to run. I'm not saying you're away from God. I want you to quickly come to the front right now. Come on, just quickly come if that's you. There's a whole heap of, yeah, there's already heaps of people coming. I want that young man to come as well that lifted your hand because I want to pray for you. Come on, just keep coming. Come on, come on. Come on, Holy Ghost. Here it is, power of God. Power of God. Power of God. Come on, power of God. God's going to touch you. Come on, you're coming to the Father. You're coming to the Father. You're not coming to anybody else. Come on, you're coming to the Father. Come on, you're coming. There it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Just, church, reach out your hands. I'm done in two minutes, but then they're going to carry on. Father, in the name of, there it is. I tell you, reach out your hands because something powerful is happening here right now. Come on, I just see it so clearly, young lady. Stuff that's hindered you is falling to the ground. Someone quickly come and stand behind this young lady quickly. Uh, hold, I tell you, the power of God, there's been a great hindrance in your life. I don't know if it's anxiety or whatever it is, but there's something right now is falling to the ground in the name of Jesus Christ. I tell you, I tell you, I'll prophesy this right now. You're about to have the best sleep that you've had in a very long time. You're about to have such a good sleep. I tell you, you're going to wake up feeling like a brand new person because you've been carrying this boulder and now Jesus right now is lifting it off in the name. He's lifting it off. There it is. There it is the power. 
Be free in the name. There it is. Done. Be free in the name of Jesus. Be free in the name of Jesus. Be free in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I'm almost done. Holy Spirit, for this young man, Father, I thank you right now. Chains are being broken off your life, man. Chains are being broken off your life. Chains are being broken off your life. God has a destiny and a call for your life. You're not here by accident, but God has a plan. He has a purpose. Last prayer. Every single person in the front, lift your hands to heaven. The guy's going to carry this on for a little bit. There, I tell you, it's just people just crying all out. Come on, church, just reach out your hands. Come on, let's, let's put our faith and power together. Who knows that this is family and we want to see family flourish. Come on, there it is. I tell you, the power of God right now is all over you right now. There it is. Free in the name of Jesus. There it is. It's yours. Free in the name of Jesus. Free in the name of Jesus. Free in the name of Jesus. Father, for every single person, I take authority over depression. I take authority over uh, mental illness. I take authority over anxiety. I break the power and the back of every single addiction. I see pornography completely broken and bowing its knee to the name of Jesus Christ. I see eating disorders completely healed in the name of Jesus. Father, I speak over your people and I thank you for healing and wholeness and blessing in Jesus' name. Come on, God, touch them. Touch the lungs.